Welcome to Emmanuel. How are you feeling today, church? You excited to be here today? We want to welcome you here. If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. You know, we're starting a brand new series today called Drifting. And uh, before I get started, I just want to let you know, I'm on the struggle bus this morning. Anybody ever been on a struggle bus? <clears throat> got a cold, got a sore throat, got, got some stuff going on. There's some congestion. And uh, also, you ever, you ever wake up in your house and like the only person that likes you is your dog? <clears throat> so that's where I'm at this morning. And uh, so I'm thinking, why is it so hard today? Like, I don't feel good. You know, my get some stuff going on at the house, got to work through. And uh, it must be because someone really needs to hear this message. That's the only thing I can figure out. So uh, I, think, I think that you really need to hear this because it's really difficult right now to get through uh, the weekend. So uh, you can talk back to me, give me some encouragement, say amen, yell at me, throw something at me, just do something, okay? Help me get through this talk. We good? Is that fair? Awesome, awesome. That's good. I like that. See, okay. So yeah, brand new series called Drifting. And have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm, my life is, is sort of like a movie I showed up late to and I haven't even gotten my popcorn yet. Have you ever heard somebody say that, something like that? Or I feel like I heard somebody else say this, like I feel like I'm a butterfly caught in a spider web and the life is just getting sucked out of me every single day. Maybe you've heard somebody say that before. Um, or, or maybe you've heard somebody respond back when you say, hey, how's your day going? And here's what they say. Well, it's sort of the same blank, different day. I left that blank on purpose because you can't say that word in church, okay? And so don't write it. You can't write it in church either. So leave that one blank, okay? Some of you already guessed it. You already wrote it down. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> Sort of like Groundhog Day. Remember Groundhog Day? It's like just the same thing over and over and over. Just kind of just going through the motions. A lot of people today are just drifting through life. No objectives, no goals, no targets that they're shooting for. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about, about what it looks like to be drifting through life. How do you know if you're drifting through life? I want to give you five quick ideas and you can kind of hear these and maybe answer the question of whether or not you are drifting or not. I think a person is drifting through life when they're waiting for, what, for something to happen next. If you've ever thought to yourself in your life, I wonder what happens next, you know? Life is like, life is the sort of thing that just happens to you. You really don't plan for something. You're really not taking action. You're just kind of waiting for what happens tomorrow. Maybe something will come in the mail. Maybe the phone will ring. Maybe you'll get an email. And here's, here's what's true. This kind of tickles me a little bit. You're hoping that it's something positive because <laughs> it may not be because <laughs> you're not in control of your life. It's just, you're just kind of drifting down whatever current is, uh, wherever the current is taking. You're waiting for something to happen next. You might also be drifting if you, know, if you have very little or no clarity about the future. Somebody says, hey, where are you going to be in two years? Where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in 10 years? You have no idea. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I just kind of live for the moment. I kind of live for the day. I'm not sure where I'm going to be next month, let alone next year. Come on. You might be drifting through life if you have no clarity about the future. Because you don't have clarity about the future, you absolutely, number three, you absolutely have no plan to get there. Why would you have a plan? You have no destination. <laughs> you don't need a plan, right? Just kind of wake up, go through, go with whatever happens that particular day. No destination, no plan. You also might be drifting through life if you feel bored, unmotivated, or frustrated. It's kind of, life is boring to you. You know, and you, you got some stuff going on, but you really don't feel motivated or excited about it, right? 
And even, and there even might be an underlying, you know, uh, underneath the surface there, just a, a kind of a boiling sense of, of, of anger or frustration, or some would even say rage. This is kind of a guy thing. You go to, you go to work, you, 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 got, you got a family and you got some stuff to do, but, but you don't know how it all fits together, so there's this underlying rage or anger that's just kind of boiling up and it, it comes out on the road most of the time <laughs> or at a referee. Oh, boy. Did I mention I got some stuff to work through at home? <laughs> and so you might be drifting through life if you just feel unmotivated, bored, or, or you're just frustrated with life. How does it all work together? You're, see, I'm not really necessarily talking about people who are lazy or living in their parents' basement, although that may be true. <laughs> you may be drifting through life if you're living in mama's basement. Okay, let's, let's go. Come on, let's go. <laughs> let's get some motivation. But I'm also talking about people who are very productive, very busy. They do a lot with their life, but they're, they're not sure how it all fits together. It's kind of spinning their wheels through life, right? Might be drifting through life, even though you're very busy. Then number five, you might be drifting through life. You don't, you just, you don't know who you are. You don't even know like what you believe in and, and what's true about you and what's true about the world and what's true about God and heaven and hell, what's going on in the world with terrorism, all these different things. You just, people ask you deep questions. You just say, I don't know. I'm not sure. What's going on and what's really happening in the world? You might be just drifting through life if you have no solid beliefs or convictions about the world that you live in currently. Now the beautiful thing about drifting through life, or the beautiful thing, I'm sorry, the beautiful thing about being a human being, as opposed to maybe an animal <laughs> or an alien, is that you can actually, did I just say alien? I think I did. Uh, <laughs> The beautiful thing about being a human being is that if you don't like the direction of your life, if you just heard those five things and you're like, oh my gosh, that's kind of how I live. If you don't like that, you can actually change your story. That's the beautiful thing about being a human being. If you're looking at the direction of your life and, and you, you think you know and you sense that you're drifting, you can decide today to change the direction. You can actually change the story that you're living in. A few years ago, I read a fantastic book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And it's by the guy named, uh, a guy named Donald Miller. And several years ago, he wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. Anybody remember that book, Blue Like Jazz? Sold lots and lots and lots of copies. It became very, very popular. And, and uh, it, was a, it was a pretty good book. Well, this is kind of a sequel to it. And in the book, Miller says this. He says, I've never walked out of a meaningless movie thinking that all movies are meaningless. You ever do that? I only thought the movie I walked out of was meaningless. Then he says this, makes the connection. I wonder then if when people say life is meaningless, what they really mean is their life is meaningless. I wonder if they've chosen to believe that their whole existence is unremarkable and are projecting their dreary lives on the rest of us. What is he saying here? Miller is saying just because you feel like your life is meaningless and directionless and it's pointless doesn't mean that all of life is meaningless. It just means that yours is. Now, isn't that encouraging? <laughs> Come to church. <laughs> I believe that's true. I believe that if you're experiencing a life where it's, man, I just don't feel fulfilled, it's, it's, there's no meaning, there's no, I'm not very motivated, I'm not, I don't feel like there's real purpose to my life. That doesn't mean that everybody's life is like that, it just means that yours is. And if you don't like that, he says in the book, you can change that. I love this book because 
After he wrote Blue Like Jazz, the book was such a hit that these movie producers came to Donald's, uh, came into Donald's life and they said, Donald, your book was so good, we want to make a movie out of your life. And so he, was, he said no at first and then they shared with him how much they were going to pay him and then he said yes. <laughs> so they came and they started this process of kind of discovering, you know, a little bit about his life and, and as they dove into his life, they realized that there wasn't anything meaningful there. Even, they even said to him, Donald, your life is really headed nowhere. They even used the word boring, which offended him. <laughs> he thought, so in response to that statement, he said, well, you know, one time I saw a bear in the woods and, and they said, well, what happened to the bear? He said, well, it got spooked and ran off. And they said, Donald, that's not a story. <laughs> we don't make movies about people who see bears in the woods. And he wasn't, the guys weren't really getting on Donald Miller like, okay, your life is pointless. It's sort of how all of our lives go. Like life is not always lived out in a, in a great story. It's more like events that take place. So they started to say, Donald, what we need to do is we need to make some stuff up about you. <laughs> we need to put you in a fight with somebody. We need to put you in a relationship with someone, a, wor- a girl that doesn't love you, but you love her. <laughs> it just offended him because he realized there was nothing significant about his life to make a movie about. So in the book, he writes about how he came to this clarity that he's not living a great story. And so he started to do different things with his life. He hadn't seen his father in 30 years, so he decided he was going to go see his dad and reconcile. He was out of shape and overweight, so he decided to get in shape and drive his bicycle across, across the entire United States. He decided to hike the Inca Trail. He decided to do a bunch of things. He started to live his life because he had someone look into his life and say, your life is not a great story. And the book is about how you can change that. If you're just drifting through life and there's no real meaning or purpose and there's nothing exciting going on, you can change that story. Isn't that exciting? Now, how does that work? How do you change your story? How do you live a better story? Well, it begins with a life vision. You avoid drifting through life by living a life vision, by developing a life vision. What is a life vision? A life vision is simply a picture of the future that produces passion and energy right now. Of course, it's a picture of the future because it hasn't happened yet, right? It's a picture of the future of what could be true about you and what should be true about you. There's almost a moral piece to this whole thing. By golly, this is something that needs to be done with my life. I don't want to get through the rest of my life and, and, have, un, and have, have regrets and have unfulfilled potential at the end of my life. It's a picture of the future that produces passion and energy right now. Stephen Covey says it's beginning with the end in mind. In his famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he writes, all things are created twice. There is a mental or first creation and a physical or second creation to all things. You want to raise great kids? There's a mental creation first and then there's the actual parenting. You want to start a business? There's a mental creation on the front end. What is this business going to be about? What are we going to do? What are we going to achieve? Who are we going to sell to? And then there's the actual running of the business. When you build a home, if you've ever been through that process, what do you do? You meet with the builder, right? You talk about the mental creation. What is this house going to look like? Is it going to have a basement? How many beds? How many bathrooms? What is it going to look like on the outside, on the inside, right? You do the mental creation first, and then after all of the first mental creation is done, that's when the shovels hit the dirt. Am I right? Yes or no? It works this way with church as well, 
You know, you heard Matt earlier talk about the fact that we had a great meeting, great zoning meeting in Franklin. We're moving forward. Well, in the process, during all this time, we've been developing what's called the first creation or the mental picture of what the campus is going to look like on the outside and on the inside. Here's a picture of the outside. Here's the face of the Franklin campus. Isn't it beautiful? You can see the front doors. You can see the parking lot office space over here. This is where the auditorium is going to be and the children's space. That's how it looks on the outside. On the inside, here's how it looks. Here's the office space. Here's the auditorium. Beautiful lobby, which of course we have a coffee shop. Of course we do. And then the children's ministry, student ministry, and the children's lobby area right here and the parking. We've developed a mental picture, a first creation of the outside and the inside. And guess what? We haven't even touched the dirt yet. That's how it works with churches. That's how it works with homes. That's how it works with our life. Unfortunately, most of us do that with weddings, don't we? We, we plan and we, pray and, and we prepare the wedding, but we don't do that with our lives. We do it with a vacation, right? We plan this vacation. Here's what we're going to do on vacation. Where's where we're going to go, but we don't do that with our lives. And then we wonder why we're drifting through life, Right? We have to first create a mental picture, a first creation, and then begin to work the plan. How does this help us to avoid a life of drifting? Well, it focuses our life in, right? Without a target, without a picture that we're shooting for, we have no energy, no excitement, no focus while we're living our lives. I love what Henry, uh, Henry uh, Emerson Fostick said. He said this, he said, Those horse, uh, he said, no horses get anywhere until they're harnessed. No steam or gas ever drives anything until it's confined. No Niagara is ever turned into light and power until it's channeled. And watch this. No life ever grows great until it is focused, dedicated, and disciplined. How does it become focused? How does your life become focused, dedicated, and disciplined? With a vision. A vision focuses in your time and your energy and your strength. And that's how you avoid a life of drifting. Now, at this point... If you've ever been to a motivational seminar or you've heard somebody talk about how to, have, how to live a great life, what they'll tell you is you need to find that vision for your life by looking where? Inside. They'll tell you, what do you want to do with your life? What have you always dreamed about having? What have you always dreamed about doing? Where do you want to travel to? How, what kind of home do you want to have? And they, and, and they tell you to look inside to create that life vision. Now, what's the problem with that advice? Anybody know? (laughs) You don't always want the right things. Anybody else willing to admit that? (laughs) We don't always want the right things. We want things that the world says we need. More money, more power, a better body, right? More influence. And if you start by looking in your heart, you You might have a a dedicated, focused life, but it's dedicated and focused in the wrong direction. Anybody? Remember I said you can talk to me? You can say amen. Help me through this one. This is a little tough. I'm not necessarily talking to people who who lack lack discipline or lack focus. I'm saying even if you're focused and disciplined and dedicated, you may be focused and disciplined and dedicated in the wrong direction. And that is also drifting through life. You get to the end of your life and you you face your judge and he says, why'd you go down that path? That wasn't what I intended for you. I never wanted you to start that business. I never wanted you to get into that, that relationship. I never wanted you to go over here and I never wanted you to do this and I never wanted you to, why did you, why did you start by looking within? 
Why didn't you start by looking to me? See, we're disciples of Christ, right? That means we have a Lord, that means we have a master, that means that there's someone in charge of our life. In fact, in the book of Acts chapter three, Peter refers to Jesus as the author of life. What does an author do? He writes the story, right? You have an author. There's an author to this whole thing. You may not think there is, but there's an author to this whole thing called the human race and the, and the history of the human race. In the book of Hebrews, he's referred to as the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus, the one in charge, the one writing the story. And he was kind enough and gracious enough to actually write you into the story in your notes. Listen to this. The author wrote you into his story. Seven and a half billion of us on this planet, and each and every one of us has a role to play in his story, which if you put those two words together, what do you get? History. It's amazing. You think I'm making this up? Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the Christians in Ephesus. For we are God's masterpiece, his workmanship, or his work of art. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus for a purpose. Watch this. So that we can do good things the good things that he has planned for us a long time ago so that we can perform good works that God has prepared in advance that we should discover what those things are and perform them. God has written you into his story. When it comes down to, when it comes down to creating a life vision for ourselves, we don't start with us. What do I want to do? What do I want to have? Where do I want to go? What do I want to be? How many kids do I want to have? Who do I want to marry? We don't do that kind of stuff. We go back to the author who wrote us into his story, and we go to him and we say, Father, what do you want to do with my life? What do you, what are those good things that you have planned for me to do with my life? Who is it that you would like me to marry? Where would you like me to go? How much money would you like me to give away? What kind of house do you want me to build or have? We go back to the author who's writing the story. Does that make sense? I love what William McDonald, Bible commentator, said about this particular passage in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. He says it better than I can. God has a blueprint for your life. It's plain and simple. God has a first creation. God has a mental creation for you and I. And our job is to figure out what that blueprint is and then to begin to build that life that he created for you. Not to make a blueprint up of our own, but to discover the one that he has written for us and then to build that, that life. Does that make sense? Anybody agree? Say amen if you do. <clears throat> this, is, this is tough stuff. Instead of looking within, we look without. We look to him. We look to the author. We look to the creator. Now, how do we discover that blueprint? That's the next question. How do we go about discovering that blueprint? Well, here's the deal. You find your role in his story by valuing what God values. You find your role. You find those good works, the, the things that he's pre prepared in advance by valuing what he values. If you're working for any sort of company or, or organization and you're an employee of that organization, maybe it's a school system, maybe it's the government, maybe it's a, a private business, and you're working for a CEO or a board of some sort, your job as an employee is to discover what the objectives are, what the goals are of that organization, and then to do your best and play your role to make sure the organization fulfills its goals, yes or no? The same thing works with God. 
We go back to the CEO, we go back to the one in charge, we go back to the Lord, the master, right? And we check with him and we say, what is it that you value? What are your goals? What are your objectives in the world that I find myself living in? And then what we do is we align our lives with what he says is important, not with what I say is important and not with what you say is important. We, we align our lives with what God values. So where do we find what God values? Isn't that the next question? <laughs> right here. God hasn't made it confusing. He's made it pretty clear that his word is inspired and that when we look into the word of God, we find out what God's heart is. We find out what God is doing. We find out what God values. We find out what is important to him, what is of utmost importance to his heart right here in this book. We don't have to look very far. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 40, verse eight. I delight to do your will, not my will. I delight to do your will, oh my God, for your law is within my heart. How did he discover God's will? He took the Bible, the testimonies, the precepts, the truths, the law, and he put it in his heart. That's how you discover the will of God. We, we discover what God values by getting into the word of God. And when we do that, guess what we find? We find that God values God. It's an incredible idea. The most important thing to God is God. Now that might sound egotistical, do you agree? But it's not. Why does God value God above all, above all else? Why? We're not allowed to do that. <laughs> like the Bible doesn't say, hey, you value you above all else. You know? That's not what the Bible says. But the Bible does say that God values God above all else. Why? Because God is who you and I need most. And that's why the number one commandment in the Bible, when you open it up, what does it say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Number one commandment, value God above all else. You shall have no idols, right? I am the most important thing in your life. God values himself because we need him most. That's what you find when you open up this book. You hear Jesus say it. You see it in the book of Deuteronomy chapter six. It's all over the place in the Old Testament. You know what else you find? The second commandment. It's, very, it's, it's like the first one, right? What does it say? You shall love your neighbor. Say it with me. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's amazing. God values people. You find that very clearly all over the Bible. He loves people. He even loves referees. <laughs> come to find out. Come to find out. Referees are people. They are. Hey, this is the sort of stuff I have to tell myself, okay? These are human beings. They deserve respect and honor and dignity. Because if I don't believe that they're a human being, they, I might not love them as I love myself. So you open up this book, you find that God values God. He, he values people. He values forgiveness. He, he values you getting bitterness out of your heart. Oh, boy. It's all over the Bible. Values forgiveness. How many times should you forgive? Seven times 70, he told Peter. Not 490 times, as, much, as many times as it takes. You find out that God values faith and he values you trusting in him. You find out that God values sexual purity. It's all over this book. God has a specific blueprint for your sexuality. We're not free to do with it whatever we want. We follow his plan for sexual purity. It's what he values. It's all over the book, right? We find out that he values honesty and integrity. We find out that he values contentment. We find out that he values humility. Oh boy. See, the reason I got some problems at home right now is because of a lack of humility. There's somebody I need to say sorry to I haven't done yet. You wanna know why I haven't done it yet? Because I'm proud. <laughs> it's not fun. I have to go humble myself and say, I'm sorry. I have to admit that I'm wrong. I don't like that. 
And I'm sure you don't like that either. I can't wait to go humble myself. Yes. (laughs) It's not how I feel. But that's what I see. That God gives, he resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble, right? That's, that's what I see. So, so if I want to avoid drifting through life, I got to align myself with the values, with what God values. God values people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He does, it's all over the book. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. See, some of you are brand new to this church and you're looking at the back walls and you're like, why are there like words on the back walls? Is it, you're allowed to do graffiti in this church? <laughs> no, it's not graffiti. It's the names of the people in our lives that do not have Jesus Christ. See, as a church, what we've done is we've aligned our mission with the values of God. We haven't, we haven't made up our own vision of why we exist as a church. We've just aligned ourselves with, with what God values so that we don't drift as a church into politics as some churches have, right? We can become a political force, don't you think? We get real excited about you know, things politically. We're not gonna do that. You wanna know why? Because that's not what Jesus valued. <laughs> Could he have become a great political leader? Yes or no? Jesus, come on. Was he smart? Was he smart? How Was he smarter than Einstein? Come on, <laughs> talk to me. Was he smarter than the smartest president or political leader that's ever lived in this earth? Yes or no? Could he become a great political leader? Did he do it? No. So we're not gonna do it. You know what we're going to do? We're going to focus on what he values as a church. Therefore, we're going to avoid drifting into areas we should never be in as a church. Am I making sense? We discover the blueprint for our lives and for our church by by valuing what God values. And then we simply partner up with what he's doing. And if you look into the Bible, this is the way it works with like all the main characters. I mean, think through some of the big ones with me. Ready? Noah, he's kind of a, he's kind of a big one, right? What did he do? He built a big boat. Whose idea was the boat? Yeah, did Noah sit around with his, with his sons? He's like, guys, I've got a great idea. 650 foot boat, what do you think? Take us like 20 years to build it, you know? No, God said, I want you to build a boat. All Noah did was partner up with what God was doing. That's a model for you and I to follow. What about Moses? Whose idea was it to deliver all of the Israelites up out of slavery that they had been in for 400 years with, from the Egyptians? Was it, was it Moses' idea? No, I'm pretty sure he was like, like you know, taking care of some sheep, right, in the, in the fields. And then all of a sudden this burning bush comes up and God says, hey, Moses, I've got a plan. It was God's idea. Whose idea was it? Esther's or God's to deliver up the children of Israel from certain genocide? Was it Esther's idea or was it God's idea? It was God's. That's a model for you and I to follow. Peter followed it. Paul followed it. Mary followed it. Whose idea was it to carry baby Jesus in her belly for nine months? Was it Mary's idea? Nope, nope, pretty sure it wasn't. She just simply went along with what God was doing in the world. That's a model for you and I to follow. Even Jesus said it in John chapter 8. I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. Are you getting this stuff? We partner with God to live out the blueprint that he's created. We get our vision of our life from what God says through his world. And then we simply take action. That's all we do. We just take action. We learn from this book what he's up to in the world, and then we just start doing what he's doing. And that's how we avoid a life of drifting. That's how we make an impact with our lives. Listen to the way Jesus said it. 
It's always good to quote him because he knows what he's talking about. You, you agree? Come on, you agree? Good, good place to end here with Jesus. He says, I want you to seek first the kingdom. Now, this word seek means to look everywhere. And you know what that means because many of you misplace your cell phones from time to time. Yes or no? So you know what it means to seek because to seek means to look everywhere for something. Some of you do it with your purse, your wallet, whatever, some shoes, your favorite shoes, whatever. And what happens when you misplace those things is you start to seek. You look everywhere and you don't do anything else until you do what? Until you find that thing. And then you can move on with your life. Jesus says, I want you to look everywhere, first and foremost, for the kingdom of God. Now, I have to explain what this means. The kingdom is not the place you go after you die. The kingdom is the place where God is working right here on earth. The kingdom is the place where God is living right now, not just after we die. I want you to seek the place where I am working, is the translation here, where I'm doing things. And my righteousness, my right ways of living. And guess what? When you do that, I'll take care of everything else. All of these things that you're worried about, your job and your relationships and your children and all your health and your insurance and all these other things, clothing and food, and that's the context Jesus is speaking into here, okay? All of these things that you're concerned about, first, I want you to put them second, because I'll take care of those things. If you first and foremost make it the priority of your life to partner up with me in what I'm doing in this world, that is how you live a life of impact. You discover what God is doing, and you join him there. Now, you think about the Lord's Prayer, which is, again, words from the mouth of Jesus. Some of you can quote it with me, ready? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's that's nice, some of you have a Catholic background, that's pretty good. I didn't finish it because the part that I wanna focus on, we, we just said, your kingdom come. Your actions come. Now, we, we talk a lot about going to the kingdom. And I do want to go there. How about you? <laughs> I'd rather go there than the other place. Amen? But what, what, what the prayer means is that your place of action, your rule, come. Your will be done on earth right now where I'm living in this home, in this heart, in this government, in this city, in my community, in this church, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. That's the prayer of a person who's living an impactful life, taking action, partnering up with God in what he's doing in this world. So what have I said today as we wrap this thing up? If you want to avoid a life of drifting, You have to have a vision. Where do you get that vision? You get that vision from valuing what God values. And where do you find that information? You find it from the word of God. I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is within my heart. And when you discover what you find in this book, you begin to take action. And that is how you get caught up in an eternal kind of life. That is how you avoid a life of drifting. That is how you make the impact that God had in mind with your life. That's how you find those good works and begin to live in them and build that life that God had planned for you. Now let me wrap up with this. John chapter three, verse three, Jesus said this. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, 
You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot be part of what God is doing. You cannot live interactively in a, in a relationship with God right now or in eternity. You must be born again. Now, Jesus said this to a guy named Nicodemus who was really smart and really religious. And Nicodemus was confused, like, well, how can a man go back into his mother's belly? That'd be, that's weird. <laughs> Don't you think that's weird? Is that what Jesus meant? Crawl back up inside your mom? That's gross. <laughs> Nicodemus was all wrong. He was all wrong. Jesus was not talking about getting born again from your mother. Although we're thankful for that. Thanks, moms. He was talking about spiritual birth, not physical birth. You must be born again. You must be born spiritually. Well, how, how does that happen? Does it happen by coming to church? Does it happen by getting baptized? Does it happen by being a good person, maybe putting some money in the bucket as it passes by? How does it happen? A person is born again when they simply trust in Christ to be their savior. That's how it happens. What does it mean to trust Christ? It means to fully put your confidence in him and what he's done for you. What has he done for you? He has died on a cross for your sin. Lived a perfectly sinless life so that on the cross he could pay the penalty for your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world. And when you trust in Christ that he died on the cross and he rose again to wash away the penalty of sin, when you trust in him, when you put your confidence in him for the forgiveness of sins, you will be born again. And you will enter into a life of interaction with God in his kingdom. Some of you haven't made that decision yet. You've been thinking about it. You've been toying with the idea. Is it worth it? I'm telling you, there's no better life available on planet earth than living interactively with God in a relationship in the kingdom of God right now. There's nothing better. No amount of money, no amount of fame, no amount of pleasure, there's nothing better than living in the kingdom with God. If you want to make that decision today, I'm going to say a simple prayer. Here's what you need to do. You can take my words, make them your own words, say them to God, express your faith to him through these words, and you'll be born again today. If you feel led to do that right now, will you close your eyes and bow your head? Dear Jesus, with what little faith I have, I trust you. I put my confidence in you. That you died for me. That you paid the penalty for my sin. That you came back to life. To cancel the debt, the guilt, the shame, the penalty that was held against me. My faith is imperfect. It's young, it's small, but it's real. Make me your child today. I want to live interactively with you in your kingdom. I want to make an impact with my life. I want to find those good works, those good things that you've prepared in advance for me to do. I want to do them. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, first of all, we want to give God glory for what he's done today. Amen.
a big day for many of you. If you put your faith and confidence and trust in Christ today, that means you're born again. That means you can now live interactively with God. It means you can be part of what he's doing on earth. It means that your new prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven starting in my heart. Right here. And so what we want to do as a church to get you started in that new journey is give you a free one-year Bible, free one-year New Testament. Here's why we want to do this because at... As I've already said, as you go through the word of God, you discover what God values about your life. You discover what he values about relationships and how to treat people. You discover what he wants you to do with your heart and how he wants you to handle your heart. You discover how he wants you to be honest and have integrity just by reading the word. We are transformed by the renewing of our what? of our minds. So if you pray to receive Christ today, there's tables to my right and to my left here. Just grab one of these on the way out. There's also a little, uh, they want to tell you about a, a little group that starts called Starting Point. It's a short-term small group that is designed to help people who are brand new to faith or have been away for a while and have come back. And this, it's, it's just a round table to have, for those of you who have questions about faith to get you started there. Once again, can we give God glory for what he's done? <clears throat> Amen. If you prayed to receive Christ online, just send us an email. We'll send you a New Testament in the mail. Um, guys, thanks for helping me get through this talk. I hope that it was impactful to you. Is what, was it what you needed to hear today? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would take the words that were said today. I, get, I did my best to say what you wanted said. I did my best to let you, to let you work through me. And I just pray that you would take what was said, what was sung today, and that it would produce fruit, that we would begin to live lives of impact because we are discovering and seeking the blueprint of our life and taking action on it. Lord, teach us through the scriptures, teach us through this series what you value and help us to align our lives with it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week for week number two.